We discuss the top five takeaways from Video News' just completed CTV Advertising Summit Virtual. Innovation, full funnel, CTV households, business models, and AI all loomed large. Listen on to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and Colin Dixon from End Screen Media is with me. Hey there, Colin. How is everything going? It's great, Will. I'm kind of worn out. I've just spent the afternoon uh, listening to the CTV Ad Summit. Lots and lots of interesting stuff on the panels there at your conference, which I'm sure we're going to get to. But before we do that, we're going to do our usual couple of top news stories, right? Yeah, I was going to say, if you feel worn out by listening to a few hours of a conference remotely from the comfort of your office, Colin, not only is your blood thinning, but I would also say to you, try organizing that conference. (laughs) If you want to feel worn out, that is a fair amount of work. Um, And uh, I'm I'm really pleased with how it turned out. We're going to get into the takeaways here in a moment. But um, uh, yeah, uh, it might be time for you to get on an extra vitamin supplement or something. I don't know. (laughs) Okay, let's get started. So I am going to lead us off here on the news item front. Been very busy with obviously the conference this week, but made some time to check out the sizzle reel for Apple's new Vision Pro. And uh, listeners know I am not one to fall in love easily, but I have to say I am incredibly impressed with this device. No, I'm not running out to buy one at $3,500, just to be clear. Uh, But I think Apple is going to turn this thing into a monster success. And there are just so many different use cases of the Vision Pro that the mind boggles. And I think it's going to be a really exciting future. And I guess, you know, one of the things just in terms of how Vision Pro intersects with our world is I do find myself wondering what the implications might be on TV sets. And and I'm not suggesting by any stretch, although I think we're going to disagree on this, uh, I'm not suggesting by any stretch that big big connected TVs 60 inches above are going away anytime soon. Uh, But I can very easily imagine there being certain people that would prefer to watch a big budget spectacular movie in the cinematic mode on their Vision Pro for a couple of hours and that being a kind of a big time experience for people. So I, I do think there are going to be some some cases where CTV does get squeezed, but it's so far down the road and, and so the, the, the device has to be cost reduced so significantly for it to make a dent that I, I don't think it's a big deal to date. How about you? Yeah, it's not just the device, Will. Uh, It's the fact that we need a whole bunch of things to come together to make that device A, cheap, cheap enough and light enough that we're prepared to wear it for a long time. And B, that a lot of the work that is apparently going to be done by this device itself will get pushed out to the edge of the network so you really need to get a big build out in the edge network for that to happen so you're right it is a long long evolution but 
I think I can see a day when we won't be buying big TVs, where we won't have monitors for our computers anymore. We'll just have a keyboard and everything just gets projected into the real world on our XR specs. So yes, I can see that this is the beginning of the end of the television. Whether I see that, whether we, whether you and I see that is another question, but I really do think that that's the direction that we're pointing. And uh, I'm excited to see company leading with an interesting device that can tease how this is all going to happen but certainly not at $3,500 that's for sure yeah I've I've learned not to rule anything out so I'm not ruling out what you just said but I don't see it I don't see it anytime anytime in the near future and I don't even know if I see it down the road either but hey one never knows anymore in this world, right? It's exciting. What's your news item, Colin? So my news item is, I'm sure some of our listeners heard this, that Amazon is apparently contemplating at the urging of advertisers introducing an ad-supported tier for Prime Video. Now, why is this earth-shattering or or interesting because of course everybody else is doing it netflix is doing it and uh, disney plus has just done it as well the reason it's so interesting of course is because amazon has been running prime video basically as a cost center to encourage people to be prime members and jeff bezos of course has his famous flywheel which enables people who are prime video watchers are also spending a lot more, two and a half times more, three times more than non-prime members in the prime store. So he can offset the cost of the content that he produces and licenses for that service through sales through prime, uh, through the prime store. But this, if they were to make this change, well, really what they're saying is that they're turning Prime Video from a cost center into a revenue center. They're really looking for it to uh, pay for itself, as it were, which would be a fundamental shift in the way that service is run. And let me give you an example of how things would change. Uh, Right now, what Amazon does, what Amazon very frequently does, is it licenses these odd end sports rights, uh, and it does it to force or or try and force people to become Prime members so that they can watch their favourite sports. So it's done it in England by buying uh, Premier League rights, exclusive rights to a bunch of games right before Christmas, for example. So. That way you have to be a Prime member to watch those games and hopefully that means you're going to spend more in the Amazon store uh, for, uh, you know, for, for that holiday season and you'll stay a Prime member. The decision to license that type of content in that unusual window changes significantly if you want to be, uh, if you want to be profitable as a business, as a standalone business. So I think this if they are to make this change it represents a fundamental shift in the way amazon is thinking about prime video they're thinking about it more as a standalone product 
Uh, so that's the the first thing. The second thing is it's a little bit complicated how they would introduce this to introduce this level because right now most people that use Prime Video don't pay for it. They or at least they don't pay directly for it. They pay for Prime, and they might most people get that first for the shipping for the free shipping. So they would have to introduce another tier of Prime, I suppose, that was. Uh, for ad-free viewing of Prime Video and the regular tier, the base tier of Prime for watching Prime with ads. But it's even more complicated than that because, of course, people are already watching ads for content from Freevee, which is blended in with the Prime Video experience. So it's it's all very complicated, Will, and, and as I say, I think it, it represents a fundamental shift in the way Prime Video is being thought of by Amazon. Whether they follow through and do it is another question, but uh, I think you're probably betting that they will, and I think actually they will too, uh, although I'm not sure. Uh, I, I like the idea as much as you will. Well, it's a rare week that we go two for two on disagreeing on things, <laughs> but I think we've managed to do it this week. Um, I, I don't subscribe to that formulation as a fundamental uh, redo of what Amazon Prime is. I, I think of it just simply as them offering choice to Amazon Prime subscribers and allowing them to decide what they prefer. And uh, I think there are actually, a, I mean, I can't say this with any data to support it, but um, you know, Prime, obviously the main benefit is the shipping benefit. And I think there are now a fair number of people at $129 that may be lighter users buying stuff on Prime that may recognize that it's not really as worth it as it used to be um, and would be enticed by an offer to reduce their outlay in exchange for their attention. It's no different than what we've seen from Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO Max, the list goes on and on. Uh, so I don't think it's a fundamental difference. And Amazon also, I think important to keep in mind, has become a gigantic player in the advertising business. I think last quarter, they did like almost $10 billion in ad revenue. And so they're uh, very incented to get more people to watch ads. And the last piece of this incentive, and we'll talk about this more in a minute when we review the conference, is that the importance of first-party data is really escalating. And I think a lot of people are recognizing that. and. Amazon already sits on a ton of first-party data, but being able to get viewers, subscribers to watch ads and then link those ads, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, to the conversion, to the actual purchase of product is very valuable to Amazon. So I think they understand probably better than anybody that taking a slice of their customers their prime subscribers and having them watch ads and converting those to purchases is more valuable to them than collecting the full $129 per year for prime. So in other words, taking, putting a discount of $50, $60 or whatever 
uh, for you to watch ads, I think will make a lot of economic sense for them. And it doesn't really fundamentally change anything for Amazon. Yeah, yeah. So I, I tell you, uh, we should probably table this, Will, because there's a lot more going on here as well. It's a very interesting thought process that they're going through and has a lot of ramifications. But as I say, maybe this is something we should return to on another day. And let's plunge on with your top takeaways from the conference. Yeah, it's actually, I think what Amazon is doing actually is a good um, on-ramp to the takeaways from the conference because it's very consistent with what we heard from a lot of folks. But what I'd like to do is just very quickly run through my five takeaways from the conference and then let's circle back and dig into each one of them. So just very quickly, and this is consistent with the theme of the conference, number one is a strong conviction across many of the speakers that connected TV advertising is ultimately going to become full funnel and lower funnel um, offering advertisers strong ROIs regardless of what their desired KPIs are. So if you're all about reach and frequency, CTV can do that as it already does. If you're more about conversion and specific uh, app download, buy this product, submit your email address, what have you, it's gonna have, be able to deliver strong ROIs and we're already seeing that. That's takeaway number one. Number two, and this is really based on the opening presentation from Bruce Leishman, is that CTVs are devices are heavily penetrated in the US right now. Bruce's data has it at 88% of US households having at least one CTV in their house. But the big opportunity is that less than half of US households, 49%, actually use those CTVs on a daily basis to stream any video. So that's the part of the market that is essentially unpenetrated. Those are people that are still primarily using their pay TV operator set-top box or their antenna on their roof or whatever it may be. Huge opportunity. Takeaway number three is that the um, when it comes to deciding on what business model to use for streaming and CTV, paid, hybrid, or pure, free, and ad-supported, that ultimately the biggest determinant is understanding your audience and your audience preferences. We'll talk more about that in detail. Takeaway number four is that when it comes to CTV innovation, our panel that was focused on it really uh, kind of came through with a what's old is new paradigm as well as an optimization of um, of new technology. So in the what's old is new is trying to optimize the EPGs, the electronic program guides. That's very much tied to the proliferation of fast channels. On the new side, generative AI was really the big theme that was mentioned. And fifth takeaway, last but not least, is that, and we had a whole session on measurement and attribution in CTV, is enormously complicated, is not gonna be resolved anytime soon. <laughs> and there's a huge kind of tug and pull between the influence of traditional TV measurement priorities and a single currency versus the realities of the way things work in the digital world 
which are very much outcomes-oriented and performance-centric. So there's a real tension going on right now. There are a number of different industry efforts. And the panel at the conference, I, I thought, did not really uh, inspire a lot of confidence that any of this is going to be sorted anytime soon, if ever, for that matter. So anyway, those are my quick five takeaways, Colin. Let's circle back to the beginning. Number one, CTV is going to become full funnel. What was your uh, reaction to that across the afternoon? Yeah, uh, this was definitely a theme on many of the panels. Um, there was one, actually, there was one panel that I thought particularly brought that home, and it actually li links to your previous conference, Will. Um, and that was the the panel, the panel about why CTV's march to full full funnel, lower funnel is and uh, shoppable TV is in inevitable. And it was really the conversation between Jenna Chen, who's uh, with Walmart Connect, and uh, Lindsay Pullins, who's a partnerships at Roku. And basically, they're they've put together a partnership there to allow attribution, to allow that measurement process to go from the ad all the way through to fulfillment. Uh, Roku, uh, sorry, Walmart, Walmart Connect has actually done partnerships now, not just with Roku, but with TikTok and Snapchat, doing exactly that, allowing them to tie attribution to the ads that are seen in, on those platforms, which I thought was really interesting. And that links back to a panel that was at your previous conference, Will, I think, with uh, Cox Automotive and Roku. And they're doing basically the same thing with car ads through Kelly Blue Book, etc. Being able to link these, um, the action of watching an ad to actually following through and investigating a car and, and, and ultimately purchasing that car if you do that through that, through that platform. So certainly the idea of it becoming full funnel was a clear theme but it's not just the idea there are actual concrete deals going on which are making it happen and that was the thing that i think came over to me most clearly this wasn't just talk it was walk as well so it was really happening right i agree with that con and that's one of the reasons why i believe that when we think about the eventual size of the ctv advertising opportunity that I don't think that it's the 70 billion a year US only that's spent on TV right, ads, right? but rather the whole pie of digital advertising, which I think is around 300 billion per year. And I don't want to get, you know, run too wild here on CTV's, you know, future. But, but I do think that to the extent that it's viewed as a full funnel digital medium, the market opportunity for CTV increases dramatically versus thinking of it just as TV, essentially, a reach and frequency medium. And to your point, that session with Lindsay and Jenna, uh, also that was moderated by Eric John at IAB, and IAB had in its recent research a forecast in 2023 that CTV ad spending in the U.S. alone was going to reach $23 billion, up 21%, by far the fastest growing channel of anything out there. That session also included, by the way, uh, Lance Walder from um, Pad Squad, who I thought made excellent points about how a lot of the execution of Full Funnel in CTV comes down to creative. 
And Lance, I thought, was very articulate in pointing out that it's not about slapping QR codes here, there, and everywhere. It's a much more intricate dance that the advertiser and the content provider is doing with the viewer to figure out how to engage them, why they should be engaged, and what the payoff to the viewer is going to be if they choose to engage. Because this is really a new behavior for people. People are used to watching TV, leaning back and relaxing. And now CTV as a full funnel is asking people to viewers to engage. That's new. That's different. There has to be a payoff. Uh, so anyway, uh, I thought very exciting, and, and I'll plead that I sort of led the witness because the conference was <laughs> conference was really very much structured around trying to explore how CTV is becoming full funnel. Anyway, let's go on to the second takeaway: uh, Bruce's data, Colin, eighty-eight percent CTV household penetration, only forty-nine percent usage on a daily basis. Yep. What's your take on that? Right. So yeah, the the difference between daily users and the number of people that actually have a connected TV will that really does show that there is tremendous growth one of the things I actually I love about the data that Bruce Bruce is putting out is he's he's giving lie to the fact that smart TVs are completely de dominating they aren't what he makes he makes it very clear in his data is that the majority of houses are using both they're actually got a smart TV which they use, and they've also got a connected TV device, which they're using in some other area of their house. And I think that's an important point to distinguish. And it also really points out that there's been a lot of stuff in the news just recently. The Vizio, for example, has been claiming that claiming the vast majority, some crazy, crazy high percentage of Vizio users do not use a connected TV device connected to their TVs. That is the exception, not the rule, if that is the case, because, as Bruce says, in most, most people's homes, it's both. But and, and actually, Bruce's data actually shows that daily users of, of both devices are about the same now. So, you know, it's, it's really both devices are very important in the connected TV marketplace. But, uh, yeah, the most important point, though, is that there's still a lot of room to run. Um, we're now seeing pay television, the, the, the acceleration of the decline in pay television. And that's inevitably going to mean that we're going to see those daily users start to really shoot up, Will. So I think that's really all to the good. Um, the increasing use of fast services, uh, 60, I think two thirds, about two thirds of adults in the US now are using free ad supported streaming TV services. That's also gonna boost the usage of these built-in fast services to the smart TVs. That's also gonna boost it. So yeah, it's all up and to the left for usage of smart TVs with plenty of growth to go. Yeah, I, I think Bruce's point about the consumption between what he calls standalone devices, which are the sticks and pucks essentially, versus the smart TVs is revealing in the sense of how much runway there still is for the sticks and pucks boxes market. But at the same time, as I said to Bruce when we did the session, I think from an advertiser and a publisher standpoint, it's not that significant because it's all just yeah. minutes consumed, which yeah. is ultimately all that a publisher and advertiser 
cares about. Not all that they care about, but you know, those are the big drivers. Um, but nonetheless, Bruce's data, I think, is very revealing about where the market really is today. And um, you know, you and I have had this discussion many times. It's for those spare bedrooms and lightly used TVs, or if you just want to have the same experience as you have on your main TV, that thirty, forty, fifty dollars stick is is a real bargain. Yeah, it certainly is, and it will remain. It, you know, it, it, Bruce's data shows that both are growing now. Smart TVs are growing slightly faster, uh, but. Uh, they're both, both the groups are still growing. And let me tell you, there are plenty of older TVs that are going to get an upgraded smart experience from a stick or a box. There's no question in my mind whatsoever that the two markets would exist side by side indefinitely. Well, let's quickly, let's quickly move on, Colin. There were three other takeaways. Um, one is on the business model side. Uh, Jonathan Hurd from Altman Solon moderated a session. And I, I thought if, you know, if there was one takeaway to be had, it was that um, there's no monolithic answer to what type of business model to deploy. We had BritBox with just a pure subscription model. We had Estrella Media uh, Cineverse with ad-supported models. It seems like it all comes down to knowing your audience. Do you, do you agree with that or no? I do. I think knowing your audience is very important. Um, and, and actually, Robert Schildhouse, uh, who's the EVP North America of BritBox, he said he was, he was very forceful in saying that he knew his audience and he knows that his audience was an ad-free experience. And I'm one of them, and I can tell you I definitely want an ad-free experience. Um, but I also think it is really important to give your give your users choice. I think there is an opportunity. I actually do believe that there will be an opportunity for BritBox to grow its audience, were it to introduce an ad-supported plan at a slightly cheaper price. Um, uh, so, but but you know he, he he was very forceful about knowing his audience. So, but I do really think that choice is important. I mean that's clearly what Amazon is contemplating with Prime Video, what Netflix and Disney Plus have made that decision as well. So I think choice is as as important as knowing the audience. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, you would probably know this better than I, BritBox, which is owned by BBC and ITV, their remit is subscription only. At the same time, BBC does, as we both know, offer ad-supported fast channels now. But I think that's the way they're segmenting the market. Am I am I right about that? No, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Yep, um, BritBox is is an ad-free SVOD service, and as we know, because we've had Beth Anderson, who is in charge of the BBC's fast channels, BBC is both feet in on fast in the US and he's doing pretty darn well. So, you know, yeah, it's definitely, that's one strategy for this combined BBC ITV product. Another strategy, other strategies are being pursued both by ITV and BBC separately. So, and that's much more ad oriented. Yeah, I thought that session also about knowing your audience, Eric Opika, from Cineverse was on that session as well. And I thought he was very articulate about uh, how you can run multiple business models at the same time under the same roof. He talked about how certain genres in their portfolio support a paid approach. Other genres are more mass oriented support 
an ad-based approach. And it, it just shows that there are, there's, you know, there's real complexity now in trying to figure out what business model to deploy. It's, it's not entirely straightforward. Knowing your audience, understanding your numbers, understanding what the key levers are to success, what your costs per acquisitions are. And these are all, as was articulated in that session, all kind of critical criteria here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So let's go on to number four. Yeah, let's go on to innovation. This I thought was fascinating, the discussion led by Christy Tanner. Um, it really kind of came down when the primary innovations were asked to be cited. One was very much old school, if you will, optimizing the EPG or the Electronic Programming Guide, a product that is near and dear to both of our hearts from being old video guys. And uh, hard to believe that the world has come back to optimizing an EPG, but I suppose that's a function of the proliferation of fast channels. On the complete other end of the spectrum in the new technology innovation world is that we heard a lot on the session about generative AI, and obviously there's no shortage of discussion these days about generative AI and the impact, but our panelists really put a lot of emphasis on that too. So a little bit of a barbell strategy, it seemed like when it comes to innovation, <laughs> you're yeah. chuckling knowingly, I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm just amazed that we're here we are. I can't believe we're still talking about <laughs> interactive programming guides, which were invented in 1995. So this is like a 30 year old technology, uh, which didn't do a good job as soon as the guide went above 50 channels. I argue it didn't do a good job above 30 channels and here we are handling three and 400 channels in it uh it's really sad that we're stuck using this ancient piece of technology to do this i'm sure that there are i know that there are better ways but i guess familiar wins i'm glad to see that there is some innovation coming in there google has just released a, a new live guide for its google tv and actually i think we're going to get somebody on from google in a in a week or two to talk about that so that that'll be interesting to hear more about that i think there's some interesting innovations going on there but yeah we're still stuck with this crappy old guide and I don't know. I think there are better ways of going about it. I did want to mention something that we've already mentioned Lance Wilder once from Pad Squad. He said something else that I really liked. He sort of said that uh, generative AI he thought was a bit out ahead of its skis. Um, one of the ways that he did see AI helping was to improve the metadata about the ads themselves and make it easier to make a better match of an ad to a particular viewer's tastes and interests. And I thought that's a great use for AI. Um, it's that's the way it's being used in traditional media, getting into the idea of mood and actually being able to uh, um, recognize objects in the video itself and, and doing a whole bunch of other sophisticated things in, in recognition. And I think that could really help the advertising community as well, improve the metadata and therefore provide a better match of an ad to a viewer and i can't remember which session it was but somebody made the point that advertisers typically make 10 15 versions of an ad and that we're really only using three that is criminal maybe ai can help us figure out the a different version of the ad to send each time so that we're not seeing the damn repeats anymore that would be yeah. great that was actually Brian Wallach, who's the chief digital officer at Extreme Reach. And 
Actually, I think he even said that it's 20 to 25 yeah. different versions of the ad, which was kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. And that's, I think, really their Extreme Reach's bread and butter is helping the management of the creative assets by the advertiser and placing those ads in their appropriate context with more personalization. So CTV is going to be, represents a lot of upside to them. And to your point, hopefully upside to all of us as viewers that we won't see the same, you know, F-150 ad over and over and over again, that if there are 20 renditions there in the file, that maybe they'll actually rotate in some different ones. Not that either one of us are in the market for an F-150, but at least it'll (laughs) be less uh, uh, intrusive from a frequency perspective standpoint. Anyway, let's go on to the last yep. and I think arguably the most complicated topic that we covered at this uh, fourth annual Video News Connected TV Ad Summit, which is the topic of measurement and attribution. I, I from my travels and reading what comes across my desk, I think it's the most covered topic and the most controversial in the industry the TV world has always, of course, transacted on essentially a single currency, the Nielsen currency, GRPs. And that now is getting completely blown up in the connected TV world. And yet, at the same time, the TV industry is putting a lot of energy into um, carrying over some of, let's call it the best of what the Nielsen currency provided to the industry. It wasn't perfect, but it was at least a single currency. Everybody kind of knew what was going on there for better or for worse. Digital has never really had a single currency or even multiple currencies for that matter. It's been very much outcome focused, audience focused, performance focused. And there's a tension going on right now because CTV is primarily a digital channel, of course. And our panel really explored this, and there are industry initiatives like the so-called Joint Industry Committee, the JIC, that are trying to essentially create a bridge. Uh, Colin, my takeaway from that session was that I don't think that there are any solutions in the near term, and I'm not even sure that there are solutions in the long term that are going to bring over the best of what the Nielsen currency offered. Instead, it feels to me like it's going to be a wild west. And to the extent that the big digital players like YouTube, of course, at the top of the list, but also Netflix, Amazon, etc., to the extent that they're not really going to collaborate or kind of play by the, the rules or the structure that the traditional TV industry is trying to organize and that they're not going to pay a price, there's not going to be a penalty to them for not collaborating, which I think we clearly heard from our buy side executives, uh, Dave Cedarbaum from Dentsu and Barad um, Ramesh, Ramesh from Group M. Uh, if there's no penalty to be paid, then I don't see why they're going to collaborate. It seems like a very chaotic future to me. What was your take? Yeah, to- totally. This was a fun panel to listen to, Will, because you balanced this one really well. We had two buyers and two two sellers. 
which gave a really interesting perspective. I thought a very interesting difference between the two was that there was, as you say, there was lots of discussion about open AI, the, the open APGIC, and Linda Clarizzo asked very clearly, uh, would you would you refuse to buy from somebody that didn't support this? And basically, the two buyers said, uh, no, <laughs> we're still going to buy. No so, penalty. No penalty. No, no penalty at all. As you say, we seem like a long way off. The open AP jig was. I mean, it, it's look, it's it's a great effort, but it only has traditional broadcasters in it. It doesn't have the digital newbies in it like Netflix and, and YouTube. It, they're, not, it, they're, not, they're not involved. And as we know, uh, they're not going to kowtow to some standard. Uh, you, Google has been extremely good at establishing the standards, right, and, and pushing them through. They, let's remember, they are the most popular advertising-supported channel app on on connected TV by far, by far. So, you know, I think it's basically a case of what YouTube does that the rest of us are stuck with. So although I think it's great that OpenAPJIC is, is happening, I'm just not sure how much impact it can have in the short term. And as you say, it's going to be a very fragmented future. Yeah, the thing about the JIC also, don't forget, is that Disney is not a part of the JIC. This is so also true. This is also true. It's not true. even all the established nope. companies. And, and I don't know that I'd agree that, you know, it's the world according to YouTube. YouTube is fighting hard to get its share of TV ad dollars, and it has its own challenges to overcome as well. It's all just, it's very, to your point, it's very fragmented. It's a world in which, like digital, it could end up being that everybody gets to quote unquote grade their own homework, which is a very unnerving prospect to buyers because we've seen a lot of uh, trespasses in that world in digital over the years. And yet trying to organize this world to some standards, to some conformity, I thought the panel did a really great job at explaining how challenging that is and and why again there are no near-term solutions which means to the extent that there are no near-term solutions the market will decide what's going to happen and there are very powerful digital players in the market that are shaping it to the future that they want yeah yeah uh, i think there was one one other point that i wanted to make will and this came up on several panels a lot of panelists were comparing CTV to cable TV and I heard people say things like well it's like a very fragmented cable TV and this this uh, transition to full funnel uh, for CTV is a great example of why CTV is not cable and it never will be it's something else it's a completely new animal and it will not be confined, I think, by the same rules and restrictions that cable has on any level. 
uh, from the way content is aggregated all the way through to the way it's monetized and consumed. It's it's its own animal. That's why I so wholeheartedly agree with you that it is going to draw advertising revenue, not just from television. And let me tell you, it will draw that revenue from television. It's going to come from a whole bunch of places other than that, too. So very exciting world. And that last panel really, I thought, encapsulated the the fragmented and fascinating discussions that we're going to have going forward, uh, at least for the next year or two in this space. Yeah, I'll just say one quick thing on the cable TV organizing principle, Colin. I, I do agree with you that concept came up several times from several different panelists. I, it always feels to me somewhat discordant when I hear that for the reasons you said, it really is a fundamentally, streaming and CTV are fundamentally different world than cable TV, which was, I always described it, and and listeners know I, I worked in the cable TV industry for eight years. It was a closed world that was tightly controlled. What went on the TV, what was shown to viewers, how much got paid, it was all a very tidy world. It wasn't so tidy behind the scenes, but it was tidy to the viewer. And this world that we're in with streaming and CTV is a much more chaotic, open, much more like the internet, not completely free for all like the internet was with browsers, you do anything. There are still some gatekeepers, but it's a much more democratized space. And uh, there's far less room for sort of artificial economics, as we've talked about many times, uh, primarily with sports. It's a much more a kind of Darwinian world as the internet is that we're entering into with CTV. It certainly is. And all I can say is that if you get an opportunity to check out the videos, Will's going to be yeah. publishing them very soon. And you should definitely check out uh, some of the sessions there. There's a lot to be learned, a lot to be gleaned. Thanks, Colin. And I'm breathing a whole lot easier that everything went off without any hitches. That's always, technology is always my biggest concern, but everything all went off well. I'll post all the videos early next week. We'll talk about them some more, no doubt, in the future. But I think that's all we have for now, right? That's it. Excellent. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved.